electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Thank you very much, David. And Leslie, welcome to the Halftime Report. I am Courtney Reagan in today for Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the Fed earnings and the fate of this rally as the Dow tries for 13 straight days of gains. Our investment committee is standing by to break it all down. Joining us for the hour, Joe Terranova, Liz Young, Surat Sethi, and Steve Weiss. Let's get you a quick check on the market. Say we are moderately mixed here. The Dow Jones Industrial Average higher by just a tenth of a percent. NASDAQ is lower by three tenths of a percent. S&P 500 down just fractionally. And the yield on the 10-year note is still sitting below 3.9% at 3.877. We've got a WTI sitting around $79, just a shade under that. We do have uh, Boeing and 3M leading the Dow here. After earnings reports, Microsoft and Visa are the laggards for the index. Union Pacific, Key Corp, Zions, Comerica leading the S&P 500 after we saw that deal in the regional bank for PacWest and California. And the communication services and utilities are the leading sectors for today. But we've got a lot going on here and a lot that we need to talk about. Let's kick things off with Alphabet. Quite an interesting report that we got after the bell yesterday. Surat, you own this one. What do you make overall of the report that we got from the company? Largely as expected but good news. Yeah, I think it was better than expected because given the last quarter, there was a lot of people were just focused on Microsoft, that they were leading in AI. Where was Google going to be here? Was search was going to get hurt? Well, search did really well. Advertising did really well. YouTube did really well. Cloud did really well. So I think the expectations were, were met, in fact, exceeded. And I think now the stock is actually reflecting that. And it's caught up to kind of where Microsoft is. It's a core holding for us. I like it. And, and I think they have a lot more going for them. Their operating leverage is just huge. And that's one of the things we like about it. The cash flow is incredible. Weiss, there's obviously a lot to talk about here. I know that you own it. Ruth Porat is moving into a new role. Does that make you optimistic even further for the future? Look, she's acquitted herself very well as a CFO, so deserves promotion. Um, happy she got it. Maybe it'll change her style of living. I don't know. Uh, but it'll be great for the stock because she brings the discipline. So she was the one that came in and said, look, all these vanity product projects, all these think projects, that's great. But let's break them out and actually let's stop doing a lot of them. So let's have this financial discipline that we need to have. So being in a bigger position uh, will only double down on that. So, yeah, so I'm optimistic. I, I don't think I needed it to be a holder of the stock, which I am. I'm not buying more based upon that. But I still think the stock, based upon where the others are priced, is priced you know, for, for more purchase here if I didn't have a full position. Liz, obviously, Alphabet shares higher here today by about 6%, getting 23 target raises on the street today. I mean, what do you think of valuations at these levels? They're pretty high. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're, it's been an incredible rip this year, one that I have missed entirely, particularly in tech stocks and the, the big tech stocks uh, to be specific. Valuations in any way that you slice or dice them 
look high. They're above five-year averages, 10-year averages, 15-year averages. They're above the range where they normally are when the 10-year Treasury yield is at these levels. We're obviously nearing the end of a hiking cycle. I hear there's a meeting today that we're going to get <laughs> some news on. And valuations are nearing 20 times forward earnings. That is quite expensive. And in the midst of earnings season, that doesn't mean that they need to come down. But what they need is for CEOs to justify that level. And when you look at valuations on a forward 12-month basis, that means that we need to have justification and gratification of that level within the next 12 months. I'm not completely sold that that is going to happen. Joe, you're nodding, but you're not in this one. You're not in Alphabet. Well, Alphabet is breaking out. It's at a 15-month high, so it certainly will be under consideration when we rebalance the uh, Joe T strategy on Monday. Um, digital ad dominance, it's clear. That's the story here in this earnings report, and they've maintained it. Look at Snap today. Yeah. Snap is down 19%. Why? Obviously, because we, we see that the search advertising is uh, continuing to contract there. So I always believe that's what this week was going to be about. This week was not going to be about AI. This week was going to be about search advertising. And Google has clearly maintained that dominance. I think the right way to think about the reaction post-earnings is that, it, to uh, Surratt's point, it exceeded expectations. And I really believe, Courtney, that's what has to happen in this earnings season. Because to Liz's point, you have such an overextended technical nature uh, in a lot of these mega caps yeah. in technology itself. Look at Texas Instruments today. It's down significantly. Why? The expectations were so high. Look at the S&P overall. You're still 4.5% away from the 50-day moving average. You're 10.7% away from the 200-moving-day average. So I think Alphabet is an outlier in its ability to exceed those uh, expectations and it's doing on maintaining that digital dominance. Well, we'll find out if it's an outlier as the others report. We've got Meta, we've got Amazon, uh, NVIDIA, but I think Joe's message is the right one. Take a look what happened with Netflix. Take a look what happened with Microsoft. Microsoft quarter was good. Guidance was not so good. So the market's punitive. So you can't expect to have momentum drive stocks up to unreasonable valuation levels and then not penalize them if they miss. However, the issue is they're also rewarding them when they make it, further expending, extending them. To Liz's point, it's not just that valuations are high, it's that valuations are high in a rising interest rate environment, and those don't match up. So, look, so, I, you know, I've got some good exposure in the market. Uh, I do own Microsoft, we'll talk about it in, in a minute. I'm not selling it. I'll look for an opportunity to buy it lower than where it is, but I made that mistake with Netflix where I bought it for a trade and now that trade's turning into a longer term trade because I didn't use a stop on it. I, I think you have to acknowledge though that there is a subtle message within the market and I'm not saying that the market isn't vulnerable right. for correction. Subtle is my middle name as you know. I think, <laughs> oh, that's for sure. But I, yeah. think, I think the market is vulnerable for a correction in this quarter, but the subtle message has been that the old economy is catching up it's not as if the NASDAQ is catching down. And that's really been the story over the last several trading days. Look, the Dow Industrial is going to go for, what, 13 consecutive right. positive closes? We haven't witnessed that since January of 1987. But, but we needed that, right? Because the generals were leading and none of the soldiers were catching up. So but the question was, would that happen? Would there be the catch up or the catch well, down? Catch down, right. right. And it's better for the market when you're catching up 
because now you can get some of the other stocks to participate. And in, by the way, if the generals do not deliver, they will actually get shot. Right. So yes. you'll see that happening now with some of the big boys. And it's going to be interesting when Meta, Amazon, all of them, will that will the advertising stay there? It's not just going to be about efficiency. We knew efficiency was like the first quarter word. Now it's revenue growth, earnings, operating leverage. And Steve, before we sort of move on here, you sold out of the QQQs, though. You said you own Microsoft, but why did yeah, you Yeah, because I had enough exposure, so so I had another stock that we'll talk about. So QQQs, sometimes they're a trade, sometimes they're to fill in okay. a spot in, the, in my portfolio while I'm doing some work on something, and so you, you can't really go by that. Uh, but I th thought I had enough exposure. I sold them yesterday. Uh, I didn't want to double down with Microsoft and with Alphabet reporting, Meta report, and Amazon. I own all of them. That's really enough QQQ exposure right there. Okay, and Surat, obviously we've sort of talked around the edges with Microsoft, but slower revenue growth and, and looking forward, the forecast a little disappointing. What do you make of that quarter? I mean, the stock was up 40% year to date, so it, was, it reflected perfection. But they're still doing very well, and I think you're getting some give back right now. It's a, it's a core holding. It's a company that's really firing in all cylinders. Maybe you get a little bit of, of, of slowdown of growth, and they're, they're investing. They're investing in AI. We knew that was going to happen. So I think when you see kind of, hey, wh where do I want to take some money off? Maybe it'll take a couple quarters to get back. I, I still think it's a great company, and maybe you get a better price point when it comes back a little. Your point about AI, Amy Hood said on the call that growth from AI services would be gradual, which perhaps was disappointing. UBS says, look, it's more about tempering rather than inflating the expectations there. But Stiefel is sort of saying, we're not discouraged. It's going to take a while, yeah. but it's going to get there. It's managing expectations, right? I mean, NVIDIA came out and said, hey, AI is going to bump our revenue up so much right away. So if you extrapolate that to some of the other companies saying, well, why aren't they doing it? Well, because this is a software company. That's a chip company. So you have to kind of say, well, who's going to invest? Who's going to get the best return? And that was the fear for Google as well. If Microsoft's investing, is it going to be taking away from them? But I think the pie is so big that people who know what they're doing there, investing in the right way, can actually all benefit. It's not a you know one-person take-all. You know, Microsoft is, is the primary beneficiary of AI. Uh, so this quarter or the guidance does nothing to to take that off the rails. Hmm. So if you think about it, when they incorporate AI into all their products, I'm not talking about beta AI like we're seeing right now. I mean, it is not prime time ready. You're gonna need to upgrade everything. You're gonna wanna upgrade everything. So the question is, will there be a pause in their normal upgrade cycle, their normal renewal cycle? You're not gonna get rid of it while the new products get ready to be rolled out. That's typically what you see. You don't see it so much with software products like this. But that may happen, don't know. But bottom line is, you can't think of any other company where AI, aside from NVIDIA, and they will have competition ultimately, that's gonna benefit more than Microsoft. Okay, I mean, Liz, does it feel fair to you though that Microsoft is down 4% if all this is true and they're gonna be a beneficiary going forward? Why is the market so disappointed on the revenue guidance? Well, look, it, you have to work inflation into this, too. Inflation is something that, as inflation comes down, revenues come down. I think that's pretty normal. If valuations are extended based on, like I said before, getting gratification on some of this theme in the next 12 months, then, yeah, there is some give back that has to occur. I don't necessarily disagree with Steve, but I think there's a lot of investors that are choosing their horse in this race. And AI is still so new, it may change our lives. It may change the universe of tech stocks. But we don't know yet 
who those winners and losers are going to be. I think we can all name a story of the past. You know, remember when AOL was supposed to take <laughs> over the world? Remember when Blockbuster was, you know, cutting edge, that sort of thing. Things change over time, but it takes years for those stories to play out. So I think we have to be careful not to hitch our wagon to something and really be committed to one company being that winner. I don't think we know even how the middle of this story plays out, let alone the end. Joe, I want to take an opportunity to sort of look forward to Meta from what we heard about the ad spending from Alphabet, from Google. Encouraging for Meta here tonight? It should be. And it should be, and we should be hearing from Meta the uh, activity surrounding Instagram and WhatsApp because those, certainly Instagram was just a fantastic acquisition for the company. Um, I, I would just like to see them stay consistent in the messaging. Stay away from the metaverse, focus on talking about cost efficiency, focus on talking about just utilizing uh, the balance sheet to build forward, whether it's threads or expanding and diversifying the platform more further, and being amenable to what they do best, which is to be there for small businesses and provide that opportunity source uh, for them to, to leverage their business. Surat, Meta has had such a run. Is there a yeah. risk that there could be a sell on the news if this report is strong? Yeah, I mean, the fear is the strategy drift, right? Uh, hey, we've with the ships now on the right course, let's, as Joe said, let's go spend money more on this. If they even hint at that, you're going to get a lot of the momentum. When you say on out. this, meaning the metaverse? On the metaverse. Okay. Right, right, right. I mean, if they can kind of say we're spending, but it's not going to be outside of the ordinary, but you do need them to execute because efficiency is what brought them here, but the execution and the return on investment. Are they making money on, on Instagram? How is Threads doing? What is Facebook users doing? And, and, and Joe, the, the WhatsApp question's just been out there. Like, mm. We just don't know how they're gonna monetize that. And at some point, that's option value. Um, but I do think, but there's a, this stock is, is priced also to perfection. Mm. I mean, it's up from $90 to where it is now. So forget you know, about where it's moved. What's the valuation on it? Well, the, the valuation is lower than all the other. But it all depends seven. on if he decides to take the cash and reinvest it in an area that doesn't have returns right away. Right? On a so, PE basis, on an EBITDA basis, it's not. An but, but you could have you could have said the same thing before. You know, he said, "I'm going to spend 10 billion in the metaverse," and then he cut it back. So <laughs> that that's why the stock has a discount because honestly, people don't really trust what the management team's going to do. So he's got to kind of stay on the same course. So the, so I'm hoping that they say something. So threads. It moved up 10% in threads, mm -hmm. right? He chose to launch it, which I think was a smart thing, uh, to launch it when Musk was at his weakest with Twitter. He right. continues to be getting weaker, mm -hmm. right? But, uh, but it wasn't really ready. So he saw what Microsoft did with chat and said, okay, I'm going to launch. I know it's not ready. Hmm. And sort of backfired a little bit. You didn't have the same momentum. But there are more features, better usability features to come out in threads. I think they're going to talk about that tonight, maybe get the excitement going. We know that the user base has fallen off by 70% since they announced it. So the stock came down that 10%. Joe, jump in. Yeah, let's, let's just caution the viewers. This is a mega cap that tends post earnings to move significantly yes. in one Absolutely. direction or the yeah. other. Yeah. Yeah. So I believe over the last two years, it's moved 15% post earnings. Options are implying today about a 9% move. That's still a very large move. Mm. Obviously, we're seeing a little bit of a contraction in the volatility relative to the last 
last two years. But I think it's important to understand this is a stock that will move significantly post earnings relative to some of the others. I want to turn now to the Fed. We talked about it on the edges, but we are now less than two hours away from the latest decision on rates. So let's get over to senior economics reporter Steve Leisman with more on what to expect. I know you've got a very busy day ahead, Steve. Thanks for being here. Oh, no problem, Courtney. Uh, the Fed expected to resume rate hikes after a one-meeting pause, bringing the overnight rate up to 538, highest in 22 years as we await guidance from the committee and the Fed about whether this could be, hey, the last hike, or is there more yet to come? The market trading with a 97% probability that they will hike, 19% chance of a hike in September, and 41% that they get back to hiking again in November. So uh, it's kind of like a hike-pause-hike idea that's out there. Uh, that 41% is elevated in recent days as the market seems to be taking the second hike a little bit more seriously now. Uh, what are the things we're going to be listening for? Listening for does the chairman say that the risks are balanced between recession and inflation? Are rates sufficiently restrictive? Are they still concerned about bank credit tightening? And is there a dissent? Are there a few doves on the committee who don't want to be hiking now? Been some significant economic development since the last Fed meeting. You can see there the unemployment rate is down a tenth to three six. Job markets remain strong, even though payrolls have come down. CPI is the big change, one percentage point lower compared to the last meeting. And GDP is stronger. We took the uh, first half estimate there. Uh, uh, we get uh, the CNBC Fed survey along with the uh, government report, put them together, and you're a half a point higher on GDP for the first half and a half a point, uh, a little bit more, actually, for the second half, uh, although still weak. Forecasters keep predicting this economy and the job market will weaken. The data keep defying those predictions. That's why Fed Chair Powell and the FOMC, they're going to hike and keep the possibility open that it are not done yet. Courtney? Keep us guessing, Steve. Thank you very much. Well, Liz, what do you make of what's to come? Obviously, Steve laid it out, 97% probability we're going to get a hike today. September, only about a 19%. Do you think it's necessary to continue hiking? If you asked me at the end of last meeting, which I think Scott did ask me at the end of the last <laughs> meeting, whether or not I thought they were done, I did think they were done. So I'm surprised that we are this certain that they're hiking again. They probably will. Jerome Powell does not like surprises. It would really shock the market if they did something different today. I don't think that 25 basis points makes a difference anymore. Mm -hmm. I think this is more about messaging. This is about signaling that they are still committed. And this is about making sure that the market does not do any loosening of monetary policy for them, right? We don't want to get stuck in that same issue that we had in the 70s where we haven't quite got our arms around inflation yet and then it starts to move back up. The reason that I don't think they're satisfied with inflation yet is because we know that we just rolled off the peak year over year. So that 9.1% peak in June of last year was just this last comp. It makes the movement downward look better, but now the comparisons get tougher as the year goes on. And it's possible, we've seen a pickup in some of this commodities inflation, it's possible that the headline reads go back up, and that would probably spook the market, spook investors, if the Fed is still committed in messaging to controlling that it spooks people less. Surat, are you surprised at how strong the consumer has remained? Yes, inflation has come down, but we're seeing confidence high. Visa CEO, AT&T CEO said, look, the consumer is resilient. Does the Fed want the consumer to be resilient? They want to pull back on spending. I think they do, and they want housing to slow down. They want the consumer to spend down. That's causing inflationary pressures. And I think you've seen employment still so strong. So to Liz's point, I think that's why they're going to signal we're still data dependent. 
and we're going to see what else happens because the other thing that you're going to see is commodity prices and if they don't you know they've kind of rolled over a little bit but if they don't continue to go down then the fed is really stuck because if they do say we're taking a foot off the pedal the market's not going to like that so i think they're, they're in this position of hey 25 data dependent we don't see inflation yet coming back to our our two percent but maybe two percent is not the right number and that's going to be a true discussion i doubt they bring it up today but down the road I, you could see that two and a half three percent saying hey things have changed wages have moved up just look at what happened with ups you know now you're going to have potential to, you know with amazon union so all that is built up in our system and it's very hard to put it back you know put the toothpaste back in uh, I was just going to say that, Joe. I mean, I wonder if 2% is even even makes sense anymore. Maybe we live in a new world, a new economy. We need to reevaluate the targets that we're going after. Well, I, I, don't, I don't want to see us moving the target. Keep, okay. the, keep the 2% target in place. I mean, right now we have so many institutions that, we, you know, you're questioning the credibility in that standpoint of the Federal Reserve if they begin to move the target. So I, I think that keep that in place. I think a couple of things are important here. Number one, how do they view the job market? Do they still see the gains as being robust or not? The composition of the Federal Reserve has changed since the beginning of the year. St. Louis Fed uh, Chairman James Bullard resigning. So it's a much more dovish composition of the Federal Reserve. And then I think Jackson Hole comes into play. I think he has to be very careful in his messaging because it's not the next Federal Reserve meeting in September, at which point he's going to be addressing uh, investors. It's at Jackson Hole, and Jackson Hole is coming up pretty quickly. So I'm not sure you're going to get very much today in terms of looking towards what future policy is going to be afterwards. Weiss, what do you make of the possibility of a hike in September? Is it necessary as you sit here today? But it's, it's on the table, right? So yeah. you have seen some commodity moves back up. You've seen oil move up. You've seen copper start to move up. Lumber, we heard from Union Pacific today, their lumber shipments were down. So lumber's not doing as well. Uh, rents have come down, an important part. But the housing market remains strong. So commodities going into that are going to remain strong. Lumber will come back. So I think it's a coin toss right now for what happens in September. I don't think the market's going to look to September. They're going to key off Powell's comments. That's going to work for a couple hours. And then we'll get the earnings reports at 4 o'clock. And that'll take over the spotlight. Then we'll get more earnings reports from the key players this week. And people forget what Powell said and just focus on earnings. I think Powell also has to think about the effect of the rest of the world exporting their deflation to the United States. China is weak. Europe is in a technical recession right now. What happens in the coming months? Generally, what you see economically is that deflationary element gets exported into the United States. Yeah. So I think he has to take that wait and see approach. What do you make of what we should hear out of Jackson Hole in the interim, Liz, between the two Fed meetings? I mean, how, how carefully does Powell have to dance that tightrope? Well, it depends what some of the reads are that come out between now and then. I mean, they have a built-in pause, effectively, in right. August, right? We don't, sure. After this, we don't have another meeting until September 20th. Right. So they don't even have to say we're going to pause. They just will pause. <laughs> and Jackson well, they wouldn't Hole, say it anyway, though. They'll never right. say we're pausing. <laughs> right. yeah. But Jackson Hole's important. Obviously, we're going to hang on those words. There's always a lot of Fed speakers leading up to, and there's mm -hmm. a lot of Fed speakers afterwards. It's not as if Powell is the only one we'll listen to. I think that we're probably going to start 
start to see the data come in softer as we get closer and closer to Jackson Hole, and then their statement has to be consistent with that so that we feel like they're paying attention to that data and living true to their word of being data dependent. So I would expect that by the time we get closer to that September meeting, the expectations for another hike are much, much lower because we probably won't need it. This is when the lagged effects will actually start to rear their ugly head. This is usually when that happens, somewhere between 12 and 18 months after the beginning of the hiking cycle. We are right in that time frame. September would actually be 18 months mm. after the beginning of the hiking cycle. Mm. So it should start showing up in the data between now and Jackson Hole, and definitely between now and the Fed meeting in September. Yeah, that timeline is important to recognize. Thanks. Well, don't miss Scott Wapner's exclusive interview with Double Line CEO Jeffrey Gumlock. That's following today's Fed decision that we've been talking about in that news conference. You're going to want to catch that live on Closing Bell. But straight ahead, our chart of the day, Boeing hitting a new 52-week high after a big beat. We'll break down the quarter next. Halftime report is back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit ODFL.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back to Halftime. Let's get to our chart of the day. Boeing hit a new 52-week high today following a better-than-expected quarterly earnings result. Our own Jim Labenthal owns it. He joins us now on the phone. Jim, yesterday I suspected you were a little nervous ahead of this report, but today I guess you're probably pretty happy. What are your thoughts? Hi, Courtney. I am pretty happy, and I was going to make that same reference to us joking uh, during commercial breaks yesterday that this is usually when Boeing gives some ridiculous huge charge, some write-off, but they didn't. They didn't. Hallelujah. Instead, they gave us an enormous free cash flow beat. Um, that's, that's what the most important thing for this stock is, cash flow generation that they can use to pay down debt. And they are delivering on that. They are delivering planes. They're increasing their production of 737 Maxes and 787s. Productions equals deliveries equals free cash flow equals better profits and pay down of debt. So this is a multi-year turnaround story that is very well on track. Uh, nothing to complain about here. It's obviously having a nice move here today. I'm not sure if today is the time to add to a position. Of course, you want to buy when it's a little bit on sale, perhaps. But what do you make about the size of your position at, in light of these results? Are you adding to it? Or are you happy where you are? 
Well, you know, I'm doing this by phone, so I can't see if my uh, my friend of me, Steve Weiss, is on there. But he likes to tease Jim. me. And no, hang Jim, on, Jim. Steve. I, 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 I to might... see you do well. Maybe you'll stick your hand <laughs> in your pocket and at least pick up your share of the check next time we go out. So congratulations. <laughs> Steve likes to tease me. That, and this is true, okay? My first purchase of shares four years ago above $300. But as Steve also knows, last year I was buying hand over fist at many times including when he was shorting, annoying the hell out of me. Um, and that's why three-quarters of my shares are about you know, $175 a share. So even though there's a profit, and Courtney, you referenced this, I still think you can buy the shares here. You're about halfway through a multi-year turnaround story here. There are more gains ahead. Okay. All right. I see. Um, stick with us for a second. I want to stick with Boeing. Surratt, you've been looking at Boeing, I understand, but what do you think about dipping in now? Yeah, look, I think Jim's got it right. And I think, you know, they've actually now, they're, they're doing the things they said they were going to do. And we were just looking for the cash flow to come out. So it's definitely interesting for us. We own Delta. We like the space. Uh, so we're looking at a couple other things in there. And I think it's a good time to, the valuation's still cheap. And, you know, Jim got it right buying it in the, in the 100s. But I still think, um, you know, depending on the work we finish, it, it could be a good place to at least start uh, putting a position in. All right. Well, Jim, before we uh, let you go, let's talk about you and Pacific. We got some news on that, of course. Shares soaring after announcing a new CEO. What are your thoughts? So I'll take the 10% gain, but you know, look, let's call this what it is. It was a terrible quarter. All right, this is a company that has had a lot of quarters of operational issues. Um, the long term thesis here is that as America does supply chain onshoring and infrastructure spending, that it's going to require materials to be delivered by Union Pacific. I'm not sure that one guy can turn around uh, the operational results here, but I'll take the 10% gain and consider what to do over the next few days with the position. Fair enough. Uh, not the only executive change that we've heard today, but shares are higher by about 10% on the news. Jim, thanks so much. We're going to move now to get some headlines with Bertha Coons. Hi, Bertha. Hi, Courtney. In Delaware, court is back in session as the plea deal in the Hunter Biden case appeared to be unraveling just about an hour ago. The judge has been questioning defense attorneys and prosecutors on the scope of the agreement, including linking this plea agreement on tax charges to a deal on the gun charges that Hunter Biden is facing. The original plea deal was to have the president's son plead guilty to a pair of misdemeanor tax charges while avoiding prosecution on a gun charge. Seven major automakers are working together to double the number of electric vehicle chargers in the U.S. and Canada. The team includes General Motors, BMW and Honda, who will share a multi-billion dollar investment to build charging stations in urban areas and along travel corridors. The move would rival Tesla's network and could speed the adoption of electric vehicles. The House Oversight Committee, meantime, is hearing testimony from three witnesses in a hearing on UFOs today. The three witnesses are military veterans who claim to have firsthand knowledge on the subject. Two of the witnesses say they have seen UFOs. Their testimony stressed that the sightings are a national security problem and that the government has been too secretive. One of those things that people will be riveted to watch, Courtney. Absolutely. I grew up in Dayton, Ohio. There's an Air Force base there, and people always wondered, were the aliens really there? <laughs> Questions that we still have today. Thank you very much, Bertha. Well, up next, our call of the day, another price target cut for Disney. So where the committee stands on this trade, that's coming up next.
Grade My Trade. Send us your latest stock move, and the investment committee will debate it and grade it. Email us at askhalftime at cnbc.com or tweet us, hashtag GradeMyTrade. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Halftime. Let's get to our call of the day. Morgan Stanley cutting Disney's price target, saying that the Hollywood strike is weighing on the industry. Surat, you own Disney. Do you agree with this call? And how long-term do you think an impact could be? It could be for a long time. I mean, for, for us, Disney's a value stock. There's no short-term catalyst. We don't know what it's going to be. Uh, Iger's going to be there for a couple more years. Our view is, look, some of the parts is greater than the whole. They have great content. They, they have a great global brand. The time to own some of these stocks when they're so out of favor is now. But again, you know, it's like when Meta was 90 and you could sit here and we talked about how bad things were and it could be on the way to 60. But there, there is a case for us that there is value there. Is it there in the short term? No. Did they raise prices too fast? Yes. Did they spend too much money on content? Yes. Is linear TV going down? Yes. But at the end of the day, this brand, people still talk about it. They've got so many things in Marvel, Star Wars, et cetera, that there is value there. And Iger would not have stayed on for a couple of years because this is his legacy. And I do think that there's a good company behind it and there will be value there. But in the short term, if you're a trader or you're looking to, to do well in the next three to six months, it might not be the spot to be. Is there value in the ESPN content? It seems like they can't quite figure out what to do with that. Well, I think live sports has huge value and, and ESPN does have that global brand. So the question is matching your assets to liabilities. How much are you paying for the live sports versus how much you're getting? And there could be other ways to do it. Maybe you just spin it out and it becomes a completely separate channel. Hmm. Things that other you know, uh, channels are doing as well. So there is value there. It's how do you create it? Right. That's a big question. And actually, Scott Wapner has been out west this week for CNBC and Boardroom's Game Plan Conference. And he spoke with a co-owner of the New Jersey Devils and the Philadelphia 76ers, David Blitzer, a Blitzer about the future of live sports. Here's what he said. We all know that live sports is the best content around. Um, you can't save it, you can't watch it later. And so the value of content is gonna continue to grow, uh, in my opinion, you know, above inflation. Liz, what do you think about the value of live sports? I mean, I, first of all, I love live sports. I'm one of those women, that I, I'm like the only woman in Manhattan that has the NFL Sunday ticket and the MLB package. But, and I agree, I think the value of the content will grow. The advertising space has to change because you can now get live sports on a computer. You can get it on your phone. You can stream it. So the ad space changes and, you know, the days of Super Bowl commercials being the most valuable piece of advertising ever may go away. But the value of live sports will continue growing. I absolutely believe that. 
the one caveat is that the type of sport, I think, will change, right? People aren't quite as interested in baseball as they continue to be in football. Soccer has become much more popular here. So that's something that I think advertisers need to keep up with as trends change. But I do agree that there's money there. You can't replace it. There's no competition to live sports. Pickleball TV coming soon? Yeah. No. <laughs> Maybe. Um, Joe, I know you're, you're not really as much of a fan of Disney, though. You're playing streaming in a different way. Netflix is your game. Well, I, I think ultimately Disney is going to have to figure out how to monetize that asset, and it's been somewhat um, confusing to me why they haven't introduced gaming. Yes, I've been talking quite a bit about Netflix over the last several weeks. Let me, let me just be explicitly clear on this. At the end of April, it was added to the Joe ETF at $330. So it's $418 as we speak today. We will rebalance and reconstitute on Monday. Um, Netflix right now, in a comparison to the NCAA tournament, is on the bubble. Mm. And it's on the bubble because this is the fifth trading day since it reported earnings last Wednesday, and you're not seeing any significant bounce at all. So what happens in that is that the momentum factor, which was intense, it was incredibly strong, it's beginning to wane. And as that begins to wane, you look a little bit towards the quality side. Now, this is a company that's improved its balance sheet, but the problem is that the sales growth is on the decline over the last 12 months relative to the last three years. The average sale growth, sales growth rather over the last three years is 19%. Unfortunately, over the last 12 months, that sales growth has contracted 4.5%. So this is a stock right now where you've got this conflict between two factors. We'll make a decision what to do with it on Monday. Mm -hmm. If you're isolating on momentum, you stay with it. But if you're including quality into it, um, your, the decision will be made on Monday, and we'll see what we do with the position. Weiss, when you're looking at playing the streaming wars game, what's your pick? Well, I think Net, Netflix stands alone. They don't. Mm. It's a clean story, so it's not like Disney, where they've got legacy businesses where it's clouding the picture. But then there's less diversification. Um, yeah, and sometimes that's a good thing. Okay. You know, Warren Buffett says you don't make money by diversifying the way you return, so mm. you're going to concentrate portfolio. So I think they are they are in good seats. No surprise that earnings growth has declined. I mean, over the last three years, you've had the pandemic and everybody rushed in. But I still think they've got the best content. They've got good management doing it. And they don't have uh, live sports, really. No. Um, but, you know, live sports, content's king. But it's when you own the content, not when you have to buy it. So buying that content is incredibly expensive. And I don't know that you get the return on it. Legacy TV would buy content because it would lead into their primetime viewing. But now that's not really relevant at this point. So, so you know, it's great for, for, for David to talk about it because he's the guy that owns the content. Sure. But for others, it's not as good. So going back to your original question, I think Netflix is the only way to play. You play at the right time. I bought it as a trade. It's been a horrendous trade. Momentum's died. But that's when you have to buy Netflix. Did I buy too early? Obviously. Can I get under 400? Possibly. Yeah. So. Whenever I think about pandemic and Netflix, I will always think of the Tiger King. We all want <laughs> Well, still ahead. We are setting you up for some of the big other earnings that are on deck here. This is how the committee is positioned. We'll go through it. Coming up, halftime is back in two minutes.
Welcome back to Halftime. We are watching a few key names reporting results in the next 24 hours. So let's kick things off with MasterCard. Earnings coming tomorrow before the bell. Surat, you're in this one. We heard some pretty good things from American Express, from Visa. Expect similar from MasterCard? I do. I mean, global spending, consumer strong, travel strong, services are strong. So should be good numbers from them, operating leverage. And, and you know, I don't think you're going to see anything different from them. Okay. Good to hear. Let's move on to Chipotle. The company reports tomorrow after the bell. That stock up 50% this year. Joe, you own it. More room to run in this one. That's a pretty big, well, pretty it's, big run for it, It's certainly priced for perfection and, and understand what analysts have done over the last three months. Earnings expectations, there's been 24 revisions higher, zero revisions mm. lower um, in terms of revenue growth. There's been 18 revisions higher and only two downward revisions. So to your point, it's priced for perfection. Same store sales looking to come in somewhere around 8%. It's slightly below its all-time high at 2175. You're going to hear a little bit about the franchise expansion internationally, Kuwait and UAE. I think that's an exciting story. And ultimately, it's going to come back to their ability to navigate cost and what does the traffic look like uh, for Chipotle. I will say this about Chipotle. Betting against Chipotle and the management team there has been a losing effort mm. over the last several years. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them exceed the expectations. Interesting. Stock, though, is down about 1% here on the session ahead of those results. And finally, Honeywell's on deck tomorrow morning. The stock struggling this year, down 3%. Surat, you own this one. You like it. You still want to hang on. I do, but this is what we were talking about at the beginning of the show. Like some of these really best in class industrial companies have done nothing, right? Techs just run. This is one of the best run companies out there. They're, you know, GE had good numbers. So we'll see what Honeywell has to say as well because they have exposure globally as well. And, and stock's not cheap, but it's really well run business. Great cash flow, great balance sheet. So it is one that I want to own. I mean, you don't want to own it and go into a deep recession, but if it hasn't performed, this could be one of those stocks that will actually do well and kind of catch up to the market. These will be names that we will follow up on. Well, coming up next is Great My Trade. That's next on Halftime. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Well, it's time for Grade My Trade. For Surat, this one is for you. Henry bought General Motors at 32 bucks. What should you do from here? I think you keep it. I mean, the stock hasn't really done much. It's up 12% for the year. They had great earnings. The quick question is, what are the discussions with the union going to be going forward? And that's why the stock really did not move. So if they can manage that, I mean, you've seen the airlines have done it. You saw Delta did it, uh, American. So I think they, if they can get through that, stock's cheap. It's six times earnings. Mm. And, and, you know, they, they've really refocused their businesses. Mary Barra's done a great job. It's a cheap stock. And if we, again, we don't go into deep recession, this is a stock that I think can outperform. All right. So this one's for Joe. Daniel in New York bought 300 shares of Merck at 108 bucks and 60 cents. Grade this trade. Mm, I hate to do this, but that's a C. Mm. Um, unfortunately, healthcare overall as a sector has really lost its strong momentum that it had in the last 18 months. You, when you think about healthcare now, it's really the defensive element is something that investors are turning away from. So Merck is, is getting cobbled in that conversation. Uh, the purchase that Daniel made was a little bit higher than I'm comfortable with. What I would look to do at this level is ensure that you have a stop and below the market. 
obviously higher than where we're sitting right now for shares of Merck by just a bit. For Liz, Bill in New York allocated 80% of his portfolio into regional banks. So is it time to sell for a loss and invest into tech? You got a number of regional banks higher today, at least. Yeah, I mean, hopefully you allocated those at some point in late spring and have seen a nice run up since then. I'd like to see you reduce that position a little bit. You never want to have that much of your portfolio in one particular industry group. I also don't think we've seen the end of this commercial real estate headline and risk. Uh, and you could see a credit event coming. The yield curve continues to mm -hmm. signal that. So let's diversify it out, get a couple defensive sectors in there and wait for if there is a pullback in tech, that's your entry point. I don't think that this is the entry point here. That makes sense. And for Weiss, Mark and Colorado sold Dick Sporting Goods at 122 bucks. It's now at 132. Should he move on or should I to re-enter this name? First of all, Liz, was that pass fail? Because I didn't see a grade there. Was, <laughs> oh, right. But, you know, in, in terms of, of Dick's, look, I own it. It's cheap. I mean, retail stocks are cheap all over except for like Walmart. Management's excellent. Um, I'm on the fence here because it's a unique value proposition. If you have kids, you're not buying off Amazon. You want to take them and have the experience of going to Dick's Sporting Goods and picking out whatever it is. You know, I used to love taking my daughters there who were phenomenal athletes taking after their dad a little bit. <laughs> but, um, you know, I don't know what this quarter will be because there's the, the economy is bifurcated. Some are doing well, some aren't doing well. So it's somewhat of a crapshoot, but mitigating against that crapshoot is management projects very well. Promotions are down. Their relationship with and their partnership with Nike, which supplanted Foot Locker, is a big benefit. They also sell the latest sneakers in Hoka and on cloud. So, so I like it. I'm staying with it. Yeah, but, and, uh, Chairman Ed Stack always says, look, when your kids grow, right? So yeah. things like cleats and performance wear that they need to yeah. play sports, it's not discretionary. You have Recurring to go there. Revenue. So, yeah, regardless of what happens with the economy. Well, coming up, the investment committee is making more moves. Steve Weiss just bought a stock that's up nearly 30% in the last few months. Why he says it actually still has more room to run. The name and the trade is coming up next. Let's hit a committee move. Weiss, you made another bet on China. Why are you getting back in? What you do now? Look, China you rent. You don't own because, frankly, you, you can't trust the regime. But, you know, she is in a uh, is in a very tough spot. He's got unrest that could be brewing among the, the massive unemployment for the younger people. And as I mentioned last week, that typically can destroy some, some ruling classes. Um, but they're stimulating quite a bit. And you see reflected in oil, uh, maybe not on a day-to-day -day basis, but overall trends up. You see in Freeport, which I own also, he's taking the gloves off in terms of or the restrictions on consulting companies. He's embraced technology. And uh, Baidu is relatively cheap. I'm not going to compare it to U.S. companies. I don't like when people say, hey, it's cheap, you know, this European stock's cheaper or Mark's cheaper. They should be cheaper than the U.S., all the other countries. But... This is cheap in and of itself and relative to fundamentals. So it's search. It's a good story. Uh, I like Baba as well, as you know. Right. And I just think now is the time to play China. They're <laughs> our top trading partner. They want to bring in more capital. That's going to be very difficult for them. But they've got to massively stimulate and stop going down this inflationary path. So that's why. I'll so you're renting some Baidu in addition right. to Baba. It'll be intermediate rental term. Okay. Well, final trades are coming up next. 
Do not miss Scott Wapner's exclusive interview with Double Line CEO Jeffrey Gunlock. That's following today's Fed decision and the news conference. You're going to catch it live right here on CNBC on the closing bell. It is now time for the final trade. Weiss, kick us off. Microsoft. I don't think it's going to stop going down here, but you want to buy it, whether it's six months or a year, you look back and love that you own it. Surat? American Express, they had a really good quarter, disappointed a little bit of expectations. I think you want to own it uh, for the future. Liz? Utilities get some defense in there as the Fed finishes its hiking cycle. And Joe, bring us home. J.P. Morgan continuing to break out. And the reasoning is really not related to the banking industry. It's more about the growth in the ETF industry, the asset management, bringing in $24 billion in inflow so far this year. We are going to pass the baton over to the exchange as we wait and see if the Dow can close positive for the 13th straight session. It would be the first time since 1987. If it does so, we'll see if it gets there. That does it for Halftime. The exchange starts now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report disclaimer. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 